it is good to be back with you again this morning. Thankful to our elders and the elder candidates who shared with you last week and who led this body through prayer. And, I, and I, my, it was my hope that that prayer would sustain you and be an encouragement to you in a redirect you for your heart uh, this week as we were tempted to chase after our emotions, either in sadness or adulation, over excitement. But I hope that was uh, administered to your soul as we had opportunity to gather together corporately for God's people to pray. Today we're going to begin a study in the book of Philemon. If you're struggling to find Philemon, if you're struggling to find Philemon, you can find it right before the book of Hebrews and right after the book of Titus. If you're still struggling to find it, you can find a table of contents at the front of your Bible or on your uh, Bible app. Just keep scrolling, you'll eventually get there. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon that really paints for us this wonderful picture of redemption, or at least a wonderful picture of a call to redemption. And so as we have opportunity to look at this, uh, it's important for us to know and to kind of get a, a frame of reference of some of the things that are going on there and some of the things that are, are kind of obscured from our plain reading of the letter in these 25 verses therein. So let me start, uh, don't turn there, but let me start in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9. It's, it's uh, a lot of people's opinion that the book to the church in Colossae, the letter to the Colossians, traveled at the same time as the letter to Philemon, that they were headed to the same destination, same destination in the same city. And so there's some of the same people described there. And so I want to read Colossians 4, 7 through 9 to kind of set up some of this for us. I believe it'll be helpful. Paul writes and says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And so Tychicus is going to be the letter carrier. He's going to convey what's going on there in Rome to the church there in Colossae. Paul says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And so if they're going to catch up a little bit, they're going to be encouraged. Look what he says next. He says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And so we find really quickly that there are two brothers who are predominantly going to be on this trip. And so we've got Tychicus and we've got Onesimus. And so Tychicus is the letter carrier. He's going to read the letter when he gets there. And then traveling with him is this one who's described as being one of you. Now, as we begin to make our way through the book of Philemon, what we're going to recognize is that Onesimus is a slave who has run away, and his former master was the, uh, the recipient, primary recipient of the letter, Philemon. Now, he's run away, and in the first century, kind of what that looks like is his life is in jeopardy, that he has violated, that he has broken the law, that if he is found, he can either be forcibly returned or he can be summarily put to death. And so this is the reality of the situation. So understand all that's going on here. You've got Tychicus, you've got Onesimus, and they're traveling back. And so at some point, Onesimus is going to have to stand in front of Philemon, and he's going to have to put his faith and trust in whatever Philemon decides. And this is how this is going to play out. So the Apostle Paul is writing him and is encouraging him and instructing him in a certain right and righteous course of action, a right and righteous course of behavior. So let's read together the first seven verses, and then we'll make our way through this as the Lord leads. The Apostle Paul writes to the church there in Colossae and to the man Philemon, and he says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker 
and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, into the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Would you pray with me once again? Father, I pray that this word uh, to one man many years ago and to the surrounding witnesses in his church would be effective to produce change in our lives. God, we bow our hearts before you. We humbly ask and request your spirit to do a mighty work in our hearts. God, I pray that we would submit ourselves before you, that in the ways that you're moving and instructing and applying your word richly to our hearts, that we would be a people changed. God, that we would be a people solely beholden unto you that you would be the sum total of our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations, that we would take all of our fear and anxiety and entrust them to you, that in us would all goodness would stem and flow from Jesus. God, would you guide us in your mercy? Would you help us in this time to experience a sense of your love? And God, would you guide us in paths of wisdom? We submit this time to you and for your worship and renown. In Christ's name, amen, amen. It's interesting that as Paul opens up this letter, really the backdrop becomes incredibly instructive for us. I believe that we have a, a hyper tendency and uh, a proclivity to kind of recognize our experience as being individualized. And so the things that, that I go through I get to decide which of those things are for your consumption, which of those things you hear about, which of those things that you discover, and so that becomes joys and that becomes sadness. But the difficulty that we come to in the book of Philemon is we recognize that Paul's getting ready to call Philemon into something that's going to be decidedly difficult for him to go through. It's going to demand a lot from him, and that doesn't get to be played out individually. That doesn't get to be played out privately. This is going to be played out very publicly. And so it gives us a sense and an understanding that in some ways it is beneficial for us to play out some of the private details of our lives in the, pub, in the public arena of the church. Because I'm not just here for me. And you shouldn't just be here for you. We are here for us and to bring him glory. Amen? And listen, part of being here for us and part of seeking to be impactful to us and the people around us and in the greater community is journeying through the difficult things of life together so that whereby my difficulties and my pain and my struggles can come alongside and be an encouragement to my brother or sister in Christ and, 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 the, and the joys and delights that he or she's experiencing can be a joy and a delight to me in the midst of my woe, in the midst of my difficulty. We recognize in the midst of all these things that God is doing a work in us. You know, it may begin in you, and it may begin in you, but it's, it's meant to be impactful to all of us. 
So that's, that's helpful and a corrective for us as we read through this. And look at what Paul says. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy's here with me. Well, at the end of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 28, and verses 30 through 31, we recognize that the Apostle Paul spent approximately two years in, under house arrest in Rome. And during those two years, while the Apostle Paul is in house arrest in Rome, this is what it says. It says he lived there for two years at his own expense, and look at what he did. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, the brother's arrested. He's restricted and is not able to travel a great, great distance. But what does it say? It says he did this with all boldness and without hindrance. We recognize in at once that the gospel is not impacted by our inconvenience, that the gospel is not impacted by our inability to travel, that the gospel is not impacted by the setbacks that we see as being insurmountable. The gospel fulfills its exact purpose because the one behind it wielding its power and causing it to bring about change is a king that is above any encumbrance, any difficulty, and any seeming setback that we look at and say, whoo, that just can't be overcome, right? I mean, this should be encouraging for us. So the apostle Paul's sitting there. He's under house arrest. He's got Timothy with him. He pins this letter, and look who it goes to. It says it goes to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Now, Paul could have just sent Philemon a little sticky note attached to the letter at Colossians. It says, FYI, I hope this was helpful. Onesimus is back. Let him go. Let's be done with this. But instead, look at what he does. He elevates him in the midst of the gathered assembly. To all those who are gathered there in the midst of this reading, what they hear is Philemon is necessary and integral to the dispersion of the gospel. He is a fellow worker with Paul. That's so incredibly important. Paul could have said, now listen, Philemon, you're there in the midst of Colossae, and you're doing okay, but, but just recognize this. You're not necessary, and you're not important. But what does Paul do? He says, listen, you're right here with me. You are a fellow worker. Now, this should be tremendously encouraging to us, because oftentimes, what do we recognize? That it's somebody on a platform, it's somebody with a loud voice, it's somebody who's recognized widely, that we say, that person is important, and without that person, without their talents, without their skills, without their abilities, without their reach, the gospel could not go forward. But what does Paul do? Paul says, this guy in a city, he is a fellow worker for the gospel. And so this becomes the lens and the identity through which you and I should see the important role we play in the dissemination of the gospel, in its spread, in its impact, and in its reach. You, in so much as you are submitting yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be said of you that you are a fellow worker for the gospel. What it should be said of you is that you are a fellow worker of the gospel. This is what he says of Philemon, and then he attaches it to two other people, and that's likely to Philemon's wife and then to a prominent member of this local church. He says, and to Aphia, our sister, this woman who is an integral member of the local church. She is a child of God. She is a sister in the faith, and she is necessary for the furtherance of the gospel. There are no passive observers in Christianity. There is not a place for a Christian to come and kind of casually sit on the back pew and just kind of think, well, this is just pleasant. This is a warm and delightful place to spend an hour and a half. And then I'm just going to go out and be on my own affairs and on my own business. That doesn't make sense. There is no role for that person. There is no role for a water boy on this team who's not providing nourishment, who's not providing sustenance. What we all are are integral members on Jesus' team. Amen? 
So in this list, we see that Philemon is a fellow worker. What we see is that he couldn't fulfill his role without his sister, without his wife, Aphia. And then he writes and he says, an archippus. Now, we, we described him and we talked about him briefly at the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in chapter 4, and verse 17, we saw this brother's name first mentioned. It says, and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. To Archippus, when Paul wrote him in the first letter to the Colossians, it was to stay the task. Don't be distracted. Don't be discouraged. Stay the task. Fulfill the ministry that the Lord has entrusted to you. And Paul says here, he is our fellow soldier. Now, this isn't saying that he's just a really rough guy and he's pretty violent and he tends to snap at small children for no apparent reason. He's saying in this that he recognizes the battle is the Lord's. He recognizes that he wages a war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. He wages a war with the power of the Spirit and the sword of truth. He wages a war in the midst of these things that is necessary, and he is equipped, ready, and sent out to do it. And that's who Archippus is. And so Philemon... This fellow worker, Aphia, this wonderful sister and wife and help me to him in the gospel and Archippus. And these three are at the forefront of this letter. And these three are the ones who receive the greeting from the, from the letter that Paul sends. But look at what he goes on to say. So you've got these three up here in the front. This is kind of the center. And so everybody's looking at them in the room and they're like, oh, we, we, we recognize he's calling you out. What's he going to say to you? But then he brings the entire church in there and he says, and the church Philemon in your house. If we miss the central role of the church in a letter to Philemon, then we miss the letter. The church is not something for us to merely be passive attenders with. It's, it, church isn't an activity that we attend. Church isn't a destination we go to. Church is the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul, in describing the church, said this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. He says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Now, what he's communicating there in Ephesians 3.10 is that the church is plan A for the gospel. Now, this is either encouraging to you or is incredibly terrifying because of some churches that you've previously been a part of. But it should also draw each of us into the, to the importance of what we do when we gather together. The most important thing you did last week was not to vote on Tuesday. The most important thing you did was when you gathered as a church, when the almighty creator God of the universe who rules and reigns regardless of whoever our president is, when the corporate body came together for sanctification, for glorifying God, and then was commissioned and sent out on fire to be impactful. The church of Jesus Christ is plan A for the gospel. The church of Jesus Christ is plan A for the benefit of our community. The church of Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. Because the church of Jesus Christ is the only hope God has for his world. This is terrifying. It should be encouraging, it should be empowering, but it should also draw the importance of what we do in here. And so when you find yourself and it's warm and you find yourself falling asleep, slap the snot out of yourself and say, I've got to stay awake. The gospel's being proclaimed. I've got to stay awake. This is important. This is plan A. Look, wake up. Just kidding. Everybody over here is awake. It's the guy over there. But now everybody's much more awake. 
It's to the church. So Philemon, as he hears these instructions and he recognizes that the way he responds to the instruction and the rebuke of Paul has incredible weight and importance to the church that he carries upon his shoulders uh, the impact of the church through how he submits his life to the instructions of Paul. And so to this church, ready to hear this grave and important message, Paul extends to them not words in Christian passing and Christianese, but he says to them words of tremendous import. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift which Paul extends to them, which he delights for them to walk in, comes from the sovereign king of the universe. It comes from his son who submitted his life for their salvation, the one who rules all. And this is from whom Paul requests this blessed gift, grace and peace. Grace, the idea that they've received from God unmerited favor. You see, they didn't receive God's favor because they were dutiful in giving. They didn't receive God's favor because they were dutiful to stand up against opposition. They didn't receive even God's favor because they said the right thing at the right time and got a little bit wet following. They received God's favor because God is good and he delights in giving good gifts. And he gives them a great gift through the sacrifice of his son for their benefit. The Apostle Paul said this in a little bit of a longer form in Ephesians 2, 14 through 17. He says, for he himself is our peace, speaking of Jesus. He is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, and so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached Peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. We recognize simply that God has brought his peace to us in the person of Jesus. Today, if you find yourself in need of peace, today, if you find yourself struggling with the turmoil of sin, today, if you find yourself far off from the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ for you is not change how you're living. The glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is submit yourself to Jesus. Cry out, Lord, save me. Surrendering all our best efforts, surrendering all our fears, surrendering all our failures, Lord, save me. And this is the gracious invitation, and this is the gracious declaration that the Apostle Paul submitted to them in this short greeting. Paul turns back to Philemon, and he looks at Philemon, and you can almost see in the midst of this, Philemon felt as if Paul had locked eyes with him. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I have heard of your love and of the faith. So in essence, when Paul is in the midst of praying, this isn't telling us that all Paul did was to be captivated and caught up in praying for Philemon. This is Paul saying, in the midst of my prayers, at that moment when you come to mind, and by the Spirit he has placed you there, my immediate response is to turn to the Lord and say, I am thankful for Philemon. Thank you, Lord, for sending us faithful brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord, for making him the man that he is in the midst of the needs of this people. And this was Paul's frequent activity. He says, because I have heard of your love and of the faith. Now, what does that look like? What that looks like is Paul sitting in Rome there for those two years, and people are just constantly kind of making this trip, and they're coming out of Philippi, and they're coming out of Colossae, and they're coming out of 
Ephesus. But as they come out of Colossae and they travel to Paul and he says, well, tell me what's going on and how are the people? And they're like, man, Philemon is killing it. He's not killing anyone, but he's killing it. He's doing a great job in ministry. He's ministering to the needs of the widows. He's ministering uh, to the needs of the widowers. He's ministering to the needs of, of all the people. He is a bright light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hear all the time about his quiet times. We hear all the time about his prayer life. And we see the impact of his prayer life visible in the body gathered there in that church. He's not just a man of words, Paul. He is a man of action. What we see from him is his love poured out. Just look at what Paul says. I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints so incredibly important that our love for God never be divorced from our impact on our brothers and sisters around us. Jesus summed it up and he said, love God and love people. But we recognize that frequently what we see in ourselves and our tendency is to be satisfied solely with having a good walk with Jesus. And, 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 and if it happens and if it's not a radical inconvenience and if somebody just happens to kind of come across our path and, and, and we don't have something more pressing or better to do, we'll serve this person. Recognize this. Service to others is always costly. Service that doesn't cost you something is cheap and it's not really service. Service that is not an inconvenience. Service that doesn't, it is not an impediment to you getting stuff done. Service that doesn't burden you and service that doesn't meld your heart with the people around you is not really service at all. It's just you going about your affair, just going about your business. It's like traveling through a parking lot and you see a speck of dirt or a speck of trash and you just pick it up and throw it in the trash can. That's not really service. All you happen to do is be walking along and you saw some trash and you are a decent human being and not a cretin. And so you picked it up and you threw it, in the, threw it in the trash can, right? This does not win you a gold star in Christianity. It'd be like if I, if I said, all right, so tell me, tell me this. What does it look like for you this week being impactful to the people around you? And you said, well, let's check it out. I was at Walmart the other day. I walked in, masked up because that's what the sign says. I'm not a masker, but the, I don't want to be a trouble to them. So I'm masked up because that's what the sign is. And when the lady said, good day, sir. I smiled real big with my eyes. I gave her a wink because I can't smile with my face because it's behind the mask. She thought that was flirty. And so then I corrected it. And I said, no, it's just a thing I do. And then I said, check it out. God bless you. I tell you what, she met Jesus in those words. And you're self-satisfied. Because there you have been surrounded with the anonymous nature of the mask, and you had the audacity, the boldness for the gospel of Jesus Christ to boldly profess his name and say, God bless you. And you're like, she's going to sing with the angels. Probably not. I'm just telling you, that's something lots of people say, and it means nothing. That's not service for the gospel. That's just you didn't know what else to say, and you mumbled that behind your mask. If we are going to be those who serve Jesus faithfully, we're going to have to be those who go out of our way. We're going to have to be those who are willing to suffer. We're going to have to be those who are willing to have awkward conversations. And this is what Philemon has done. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ and he loves the saints. But listen, Philemon's service within the confines of this letter is being described in his service to the church. 
if you aren't physically present, it's very, very difficult to serve the people of the church. If you aren't physically present regularly, not just regularly as in I come every two months, I'm like I'm here a good solid once, but if this is not the frequent pattern of attendance in your life, physical presence, then you significantly reduce and impact negatively your ability to serve the saints well. Now, we've entered into this cultural time where everybody has an out, right? Everybody has an out. I feel like I've got a touch of COVID coming on, and so I'm just going to stay home. I'm really, really worried, so I'm going to stay home, but all the while we're at restaurants. I had a friend who was preaching to his church in Houston. He said, you're willing to risk it all for a plate of enchiladas, but you're not willing to risk, risk anything for Jesus and his, for his gospel. And it's comical, but it kind of becomes this thing that we've readily accepted. It's difficult to be together in person. It's difficult to be together in person. But it's worth the difficulty. We've gone to extraordinary steps to make sure that we can gather together safely, but some of us still stay home because it is more convenient. Now, some of us stay home because there are legitimate reasons for us to stay away, but some of us stay home because it's just easier. Nobody knows if you're watching. Nobody knows if you're engaging. You need to be here physically if you can. Listen, our love for Jesus is revealed in our love for his church. Our love for Jesus is revealed in how we treat his church and I think you could even make this argument, you cannot really love Jesus and neglect his bride. You just can't. We show our kids, our coworkers, our friends, and people casually how much we love Jesus in our dedication to his bride. And that's something that all of us at some point will stand before the throne of God and give a testimony to. Do you love my bride? We see in Philemon that he did. Paul writes and goes on, he says, and I pray, I'm thankful for you. you, you serve Jesus well, you serve his saints well, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Now this is a difficult passage, and depending on which translation of the Bible you're using, it's really going to lead you down some odd paths. Let me first and foremost say that Paul is not talking to Philemon and saying, I'm just so proud of you, Bubba, that you share the gospel so well and so faithfully. That's not what he's talking about. That would be easy uh, to explain, but that's not what he's describing here. What Paul is describing here is Philemon's faith in terms of its impact on the people around him within the church. And so we recognize this does not make sense that he's sharing the gospel, communicating the saving power of Jesus in his death to the people in his church, to the members of the body of Jesus Christ already. So what's it talking about? What he's talking about, in essence, is that Philemon, as you have gone through difficult things, you shared them. And the impact of how those difficult things have led you closer to Jesus. And Philemon, as you've been going through this, and you've been struggling in your faith in certain aspects, in certain ways, what you have done in the midst of these things is you've gone to your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you said, listen, I am struggling in my faith. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? 
And Philemon, when you've done really well and when you're serving Jesus faithfully and he's led you to give financially and he's led you to serve sacrificially and you've turned to your brother or sister who's struggling to serve and struggling to find appropriate ways to minister to the needs of those around him, what you've done in going to them is you've offered them an encouragement and you've offered them a roadmap for how to come in faithfully and to serve. So what does that look like for us as a body? What does that look like for us as a body? One of the things that it looks like is for those of us who are going through an an acutely difficult time, is to not suffer in silence and solitude. You will hear this voice in your head that says, nobody needs my problems, everybody suffers, I'm going to be okay. What your church body needs from you is an articulation of your grief and your difficulty. What your church body needs from you is you to go to someone and say, listen, I'm really struggling. I struggle with depression. I struggle with anxiety. This is a real weight and a difficulty for me. So that your brothers and sisters around you can hear that. And your brother or sister who is on the other side of this or has developed mechanisms for this or groups to help them in the midst of this can gather around you and can pray for you and can be an encouragement to you. The body of Jesus Christ ministers to itself. That's what it was designed for. Not to live in isolation and to suffer quietly, but so that we might be a self-ministering group. And when you're doing really well, And when things are going amazingly and the Lord is just exploding past the boundaries of your life and you're the person who said, I'm never going to serve internationally, but I'm going to give decently. I'm never going to serve internationally. I'm never going to do these things. And the Lord begins to spur in your heart and move you and say, listen, I want you to go to Tanzania. Listen, I want you to go to Ecuador. Listen, I want you to go to Colombia. Listen, I want you to go to the north side of Greenville. Listen, I want you to do these things. That you be the person who in the midst of these things has conversations about your faith with the people around you and says, this is what Jesus is doing in my heart. So the people around you can say, I've been feeling the same thing. But I really just thought it was the enchiladas. And I was completely ready to let it, to pa- let it, I was completely ready to let it pass. The church of Jesus Christ ministers to itself. Listen, your faith is not yours. God has not entrusted to you your difficulties, nor has he entrusted to you your victories for your soul consumption. You are necessary for the church. So are your sorrows. So are your victories. We need your faith. We need the things that God is doing in your life right now to lead us through the difficulties of our lives. You need the sorrows of my past to help you through the sorrows of your present. This is what it is for us to share our faith with one another. This is what Paul is calling Philemon to recognize, that in sharing his faith, that this full knowledge of every good thing might be visited upon their local fellowship. And all this for the glory of Christ. Not so that people would point to Philemon and say, Paul's calling you to a hard thing, let's celebrate you. So that Paul could point to Philemon and the hard thing that that God is calling Philemon through so that they could point to Jesus Christ and say, his grace is sufficient to carry us through this difficulty. His peace is sufficient, it is good enough to sustain us in the midst of this trial. Paul concludes of Philemon and says, Philemon, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. Paul's love from Philemon isn't Philemon writing him notes and saying, praying for you, Paul. I'm so happy for you, Paul. You can make it, Paul. 
Paul receives love and comfort from Philemon because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through him. Men and women who are willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ and to do it openly are necessary for our church. Over the last four weeks, we've lost two men in this church and Two nights ago, I lost a friend I've had since college. Now, the overwhelming testimony of both of these men was that they lived their life in such a way as to be impactful for others. I got a phone call last week about one of our former members who's 97 years old who passed in his sleep. And what I want you to know is that this brother at 96 years old living in a home here in Greenville, came and sat in my office, and he said, for a number of years, I've wanted to be done. I go to sleep every night, and I want to wake up and see my wife. I go to sleep every, every night, and I want to wake up, and I want to be done. I wake up every morning. I said, Pastor, what purpose does God have me here for? So we talked about evangelism and we talked about living in this home on fire for the gospel. I said, man, you have a captive audience. So we read a book together at 96 and at 40 or 39. We read a book and we shared our faith together. This man who had raised children, who had cared for his wife, as Alzheimer's kept chipping away bits of her memory and chipping away bits of her dignity and cared for her faithfully. And the lessons I learned in the midst of this, I could have never learned from him and how to care for children, how to care for a spouse, and how to steward my health and responsibility in the relationships God has entrusted to me. If this brother at 96 had just said, I'm done. I got nothing left to learn, I got nothing left to do, I got nothing left to offer. But this brother at 96 said, God seems to have a purpose. Can you help me find it? God seems to have a need of my presence. Can you help me live in it? Your friends and your family, your coworkers, the people sitting on the pew beside you, the people you pass in the parking lot, they need your faith. They need your faith as an encouragement to them. They need your faith to pull them up out of the depths of despair and anxiety. And you know what? You need their faith. We need each other. We disagree on so many things. But the gospel of Jesus Christ pulls us together and we agree that he is worth it. We agree that we are his body. And we agree he guides us wisely. And let us submit our hearts to him. Let us be those who quickly extend our faith, who share our grief, and enjoy the victories of our brothers and sisters around us. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, you are good, and your goodness ministers to our need. 
We are prone to be impatient, to have a limited vision. God, I pray in your wisdom that you would show us how we can share our faith with our brothers and sisters around us. Lead us to be a part of small groups and Sunday schools and new friend groups and associations. Cause us to be vulnerable. And God, I pray that for those of us who are uncomfortable with the vulnerability of others, that you give us in those moments calm, that you give us in those moments the words to say to comfort our brother or sister. Help our stories to be an encouragement. Help our stories to be a testimony of your grace, your mercy, and your provision through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for those who have yet to submit themselves to you in salvation. God, I pray that as they see the shared faith in this room, in this community, and in the churches of this world, that they would be drawn to the goodness of Jesus Christ, the one who shared and surrendered his life so that they might have life and the forgiveness of sins. So God, we entrust them and their salvation to you. We entrust this time to you, and we submit our lives to you in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.